0: You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Bronco's Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in everybody to the Huddle Up! Podcast presented by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports. I'm your host Chad Jensen. With me is my co-host and partner in crime, he is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24 /7 sports. He is Zach Kelberman, Zach. Here's the irony of where we sit today. This time last year, the Broncos were three and five. Vance Joseph has been completely unable with his second
1: chance to move the needle. Yeah, and the common denominator in the two years is the head coach and his staff. And today's game against the Chiefs, it was a same old, same old. It was the epitome of the season. It was the Broncos in a nutshell. The defense did enough for the most part, and the offense did not do enough for the most part. So uh, uh, the more things change, the more things stay the same. Absolutely, and we have a ton to get to. We're going to talk about Vance
0: Joseph. We're going to talk about, share our takeaways from the game itself. We're going to talk about the trading Block the deadline that's coming up on Tuesday. But first, some quick matters of business. You guys make sure you're following the show on Twitter at HuddleUp Pod. Also, if you haven't done so, take some time, leave a creative review, especially if you're listening on iTunes or Stitcher. But we always welcome your engagement, your reviews, your comments, whether it's iHeart, YouTube, Google Play, Spreaker, Spotify, you name it. Also, we gotta say thank you to our sponsor of today's show, Audible. Go out, you guys, and get yourselves a free audiobook, download, and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash huddle up You get over 180,000 different titles that you can choose from, whether you're on an iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. I use it every single day because I love to read. But I don't always have time to sit down and turn the pages on the books that I want to read. I can multitask. I can get these books under my belt while I'm doing other things, and you can too. So go to audibletrial.com slash up. Capitalize on the opportunity to get your first book free and a 30-day free trial. audibletrial.com slash up. Also, phenomenal way to support the show. Help Zach and I continue to bring you these episodes each and every week. Patronize our sponsors. We thank Audible for sponsoring the show. So... Let's uh, turn to one of our newer segments here to to start this show. Instead of jumping right into the game, let's do orange-colored glasses. Now, there's an argument out there, and it occurred to me while I was writing the piece after the game that it's time for the Broncos to fire Vance Joseph. But there are some comments I received on social media that was kind of to the contrary. And that argument for a lot of fans out there, Zach, is that, look, the Broncos still have eight games left to go, There's not exactly a no-brainer option for the team to turn to right now as an interim head coach. The, The team has nothing to lose by keeping Vance Joseph on staff until season's
1: end. What's your response to that particular argument? Anyone who knows me on Facebook, on Twitter, on this podcast, they know I'm not a fan of Vance Joseph. I never really have been. He is not the right head coach for this football team. I've been pounding that table for at least the last year, if not longer than that. They have nothing to lose either by getting rid of him now. In fact, they have everything to gain. A morale boost within the team, within the fan base. Keeping him now just uh, it victimizes the team and 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 it enables them to keep losing and to keep going out and to keep committing boneheaded penalties and shooting themselves in the foot and and turnovers and just costly in-game mistakes and it stems from the head coach. I don't buy that argument for 1 second. They have to fire him as soon as possible. Might not be right now. It's in a tough spot. We talked about that um off the uh off the show tonight. It's in a tough spot right now. It's not in their bye week just yet, but it's got to happen. It's a matter of when, not if. Keeping him through the season's end, what are you going to do? You're going to get a couple more wins and ruin your draft position. That's the only thing you're going to gain. They're going to get rid of him. Unless they go on a magical run, and they go to the AFC Championship game, let's say, they're going to get rid of him. So do it now, rip the Band-Aid off, and begin the process of healing. Install Bill Musgrave, start to look to the offseason, who you want to get rid of, who you want to keep. We're going to talk about the fire sale in just a little bit here. There's a house cleaning coming to Denver, and it starts with the head coach and his coaching staff. It makes no sense to keep him around. I can see why they wouldn't do it now, but maybe in December, if they're a three, four, five win team and they're spiraling out of control, just get rid of him. Like Josh McDaniel's, you know, when they fired him. Yeah. you got to send the message that losing cannot be stood for. you got to hold someone accountable. And Elway gave him a chance last year. He brought him back and gave him a better talent level, gave him a better quarterback, had an easier schedule, and it's the same result. So I don't buy that argument for just a second. If it was up to me, i get rid of him as soon as I can. It's like I wrote after
0: the game. You know, it's there's a couple things to consider here, one of which is sending the message, right, not just to the locker room and to the coaching staff, but really also you are more than dog whistling. You're sending a blatant message to your fan base that, look, we hear you. This is unacceptable even to us. And the other is that the optics of it. I mean, the longer this team continues to spiral out of control and fail on a week-to-week basis, the more it drags the franchise through the gutter. So the way to look at it now you know, it's it's not an easy thing to do to put yourself in the shoes of an NFL owner or even the brass right now calling the shots, but what would Pat Boland do? What would Pat Bolin want in this moment if he was completely himself and he was able to, you know, be the owner that he was for over 30 years? I don't think he would suffer this much longer. Now, it'd be one thing; it would be one thing if the Broncos were even one win better at the halfway point than they were last year. Where where the team could say, look, it's it's not a huge leap, but it's you know, it's moderately better than where we were last year. But you're looking at three and five for the second consecutive year. John mm-hmm. Elway slept on it, he said, All right, Vance, I'm gonna give you one more swing at the at the plate here. And Vance Joseph, eight games in, still three and five. And they got there in different ways. Last year they started three and one. This year they started 2-0 and then lost four in a row and 1-1. Now they've lost another one. So it's just no signs on the horizon that this thing is going to turn. And I understand that there's not exactly a no-brainer. Like, But I've actually kind of changed my tune a little bit on that topic, Zach, because mm-hmm. just a few weeks ago when we were talking about this on the, on the hills of their fourth straight loss before the Cardinals game, we were talking about, look, what are you going to do? Like, before the season started, we thought, well, a good interim option if in fact Vance Joseph needs to be fired this year is Bill Musgrave. But then we've seen, you know, we saw the offense kind of go off the rails, clearly Musgrave struggling to get the most out of Case Keenum. Probably yep. not a great idea to divert his attention away from the offense and have him suddenly juggle the duties and the day-to-day grind of what it takes to be an NFL coach. But why not just do it? I mean, if you're making those organizational changes, Bill Musgrave probably makes the most sense today, even more so than our guy Sean Kugler, that's coaching the offensive guards. He's coached, a, you know, head coach at the collegiate level, but Bill Musgrave's been in this league a long time. He's a very detail-oriented, very sharp, very intelligent guy. I think he could handle the interim job. And then you know what you do? You pass the offensive coordinator duties on to Clint Kubiak and let him, you know, like grow, that. let him grow his his. Um, Ability and experience in the NFL, and go from being a an assistant, uh, well, more like a quality control guy, to now he's a quarterbacks coach, or not? I guess he's assisting the quarterbacks, not quite a quarterbacks coach, but or no? I mean, even Mike, Mike Sullivan, right. right? I mean, maybe Mike Sullivan, I he slipped my mind. Maybe he would even be a guy that you could say. Um, you know, be the offensive coordinator. He had a lot of success coordinating the Bucks back in the day. He's coordinated Eli Manning and the Giants at times in his career. So the Broncos have some options. And I think at this point, you know, if I had to make a bet today, Zach, I would guess that they're probably not going to fire Vance Joseph on Monday, but they'll probably wait till the conclusion of week nine. And if they're that's when they'll pull off the bandaid and then they can at least sell it Um, not just to the fan base, but to the doubters out there that are saying, look, they're just trying to, you know, Elway, Joe Ellis, they're just trying to cover their own behinds by firing Vance Joseph. They can at least sell around that idea by saying, look, it had to be done. Culture change needs to start today. And our interim guy gets two weeks before the next game to kind of settle in.
1: Yeah, I don't see any... Scenario where they're going to fire him tomorrow or they're going to come out and make a big statement. They're going to give him one more week. If they get absolutely embarrassed, though, at home against the Texans, who have won five straight games now, maybe they start to consider it, start putting that plan into place. I still think the likeliest options are him getting fired some, sometime in December or getting the entire season, and then after the season, Elway will make a determination on his coach. But in terms of installing an interim, there's nothing to lose. When you fire a head coach during the middle of the year, you're waving the white flag you're saying to the rest of the nfl that we're not being competitive we're kind of tanking for our own purposes here so why not try a new coach out if it's musgrave if it's sullivan you know everyone gets bumped up sullivan's a great coach to take over i think he's very well respected uh he's i want to say he's done an okay job with case keenum i don't put his struggles on him it doesn't really matter who they install so long as vance is gone that's the biggest takeaway from that they got to start holding people accountable within the organization they did it with Chad Kelly. They t- only took 24 hours to get rid of him. Right. And, and th- you have a head coach there for going on two years now who's not getting it done. So at some point, Elway has to swallow more of his pride like he did with Pax and Lynch, like he did with Marquette King, Chad Kelly, and just make the right decision for the betterment of the organization. And that starts with firing the coach that he handpicked, that he sought out, that he wanted for so long that he finally got, and it hasn't worked out. He has to look himself in the mirror and say, what is best for the organization? And that is firing Vance Joseph. And whoever gets the Anstrom tag, I I really don't care. It's not going to make a difference on the rest of the season. When they fire him, it's because they're out of playoff contention anyway. So they're not looking to be some, you know, go on some hot streak. They have to fire him as soon as possible. When I say as soon as possible, like I just, you know, like I said a few minutes ago, it's either going to be at the bye week, which is the absolute earliest, or sometime like with Josh McDaniel's, which was week thirteen, I believe, sometime yeah. later in the season, yeah. and you start playing backups and you give some coaches some chances to shine and build their own resumes, like you said with Kubiak, it wouldn't happen until then. But it's to me, it's a matter of when, not if. They're yeah. gonna get rid of them and they gotta rip off that band-aid as soon as possible.
0: Mathematically, I mean the odds of a three and five team turning it around and you know, no. even making a run at the playoffs are extremely low. But when you look at what the Broncos face on the remaining schedule, I mean, it, it, you can see the temptation for John Elway to not only just rip off the Band-Aid for the purposes we've already stated, but in terms of tanking him. But here's the catch. Here's the fly in the ointment with regard to tanking it. Most teams, if they're going to tank it, they're going to do so to get that quarterback. You know, suck for luck 2012, right? Everyone remembers that. I mean, a lot of people wanted the Tebow year, the Broncos, to tank just to get Andrew Luck. And Mm -hmm. my, who knows what would have happened had that uh, occurred. Peyton Manning surely wouldn't have come to Denver, so certain things happened for a reason. But this year, as far as tanking, you know, you hope that Justin Herbert was going to be there, but all signs, the Oregon Duck... Uh, All signs are that he's going to return to college for 2019. And a big reason being that I guess his brother was recruited to play at Oregon. So he's going to be there next year. And how fun would it be to to play college football with with your brother? Now, that's not a guarantee because he he could go before the advisory committee that talks to these college kids and lets them know, should you stay in college or should you declare? What are your odds? What are we hearing? He might go before them. He might hear other things from his, his agent and people around him that say, you know what? you have right now today if you declare you're going to be the number 1 overall pick and if you do so you know you're going to make a ton of money you'd be crazy i mean think of what happened to matt barkley if matt barkley hadn't returned mm. for that final year he would have been a top 5 pick instead he ended up going whatever it was mid round uh and his his career just never went anywhere in the nfl but had he declared that year he would have been at least a top 10 pick he was he was perceived to be By a lot of people at that point, that was before we knew a lot more about Matt Barkley than we, you know, the same Matt Barkley we know today, he wasn't the guy. So that's the problem though, Zach, is like, if you tank, what are you tanking for? Because all the guys I'm talking to that know the draft, like, you know, the backside of their hand, they're not seeing that franchise, future franchise quarterback that's guaranteed to be there in this year's draft, aside from
1: Herbert, who is at this point still up in the air. Yeah, there's no. That's a great point. There's no bona fide quarterback. That's why they, if they wanted one, they had to get one in the last draft class. They passed on two of them. They could have traded up potentially for another one. This isn't the year, I think, for that. They can go another direction. They can get a a player like Greedy Williams. They can get a Bosa. You know, they can get someone who can help out the team in other areas. Personally, I like Tua. Uh, 2020 to me is a better draft class for that. So. I don't want to say 2019 would be a throwaway year. You can never do that in the NFL. It it would help them to get a top five pick now as opposed to, you know, winning games for the sake of winning games. Like you saw last year, fans were still rooting for the Broncos to win where all it would have done was helped Joseph's job security and hurt their draft stock. Fortunately, or unfortunately to some, they finished 5 and 11, they got the number five pick, and they got Bradley Chubb, who's turning into a superstar before our eyes. He's really blossoming. So it can never hurt to get a bona fide blue chip prospect. I don't advocate tanking per se because it's such a taboo word in sports and you can't really advise that, but it wouldn't necessarily be in the Broncos' worst interest if they were to lose more games when they win this year. That's all I'm saying. And if you want Joseph gone, and a, a large chunk of the fan base does, you have to hope the Broncos keep losing. The only, the sooner they get rid of them is the sooner they're going to keep losing games. Uh, Whether they want to go all in for quarterback next year's draft, that's a decision that has to be made in the offseason. They want to know what they have to do with Case Keenum, who the new coach is going to be, the new coaching staff. There's so many dominoes that have to fall before that, but that domino effect cannot get going until they fire Vance Stilson.
0: You know, and a lot of fans at this point, and we understand it, have a hard time getting excited about the notion of any other, you know, Keenan being the quarterback next year or even finishing this year as a quarterback. A lot of people's hopes for the future or at least the hopes of being excited about anything in the near future died when Chad Kelly went out and got arrested and the Broncos subsequently cut him. But here's something I want you to keep in mind, okay? And here's where you can, if you're at that bottom of the barrel, the most myopic, depressed can't find anything to get excited about your team on. I want you to look at this. Here, here's a little case study. Back in 2016, the Rams go uh, 4 and 9. They cut, or excuse me, they fire Jeff Fisher. At that point in time, okay, Jared Goff. Now Case Keenum had been benched. Goff was the number one uh, overall pick. He'd been inserted. He was just getting beat up and just ramrodded by every single opponent. He, was, he looked like he was in over his head. He looked like he was... There was a lot of people, mostly those who were uninformed and not considering the full scope of history. Colin Goff, oh, he's going to be just another bust. He's going to be one of these beleaguered number one overall picks that just goes to the wrong team and gets the, you know, the David Carr treatment, right? Mm-hmm. But they made the culture change. They hired Sean McVay to come in. And if you look at the talent and the roster of the LA Rams in 2017 compared to 2016, it's almost exactly the same with only a few small tweaks on a foundational level and including most of the role players. It was the same roster. It was the same personnel. But Sean McVay, the combination of his offensive innovation and Wade Phillips coming in to coach the defense, it provided such a culture change and a shot in the arm. It elevated and raised all ships. And that is what the right coaching hire okay, can do for an NFL team. So that being said, who's one of the best coach teams in the NFL? The Minnesota Vikings. Is it any, especially last year, that coaching staff they had, I mean, it was so good. Was there any big surprise that Case Keenum managed to thrive in that scenario? So mm. it stands to reason that if you can get the right, now you're tied to Keenum next year whether you like it or not. No matter what other options are out there in the draft, even if you could get Justin Herbert, Keenum's going to be here in 2019. But assuming you're not going to get Herbert because he's going to go back to college, if you get the right coaching hire in here, Case Keenum can still be something. You might still be able to get something out of Keenum, even if it's something like what my best case scenario was earlier this year before the season started, that hope that – Look, I think Keenum could come in and provide the Broncos the type of quarterback play that was that could be similar to what Jake Plummer did uh more than ten years ago where you know he can put the Broncos in a position to compete for the division in the playoffs each and every year. He's not going to be good enough to get him over the hump as far as winning Super Bowls, but he can put him in the conversation and realistically serve as a viable bridge quarterback so far he's completely underplayed that as a possibility i mean he's he's literally been one of the two or three worst quarterbacks in the NFL through the first half of the season. But if you bring in the
1: right coach, Zach, that could change on a dime. It would change on a dime. And anyone who knows me on Facebook, I've kind of become a meme for this expression, but it's true, is coaching, coaching, coaching. It all comes down to coaching in the NFL. And if the Broncos were a better coach team, they would not be 3-5 and right now. They would have beaten the Jets. They would have beaten the Kansas City Chiefs the first time. You never know what the Ravens, they would not have been at the record they are right now they have personnel issues. I'm not exonerating the players completely, but the coaching staff is lackluster and it starts with the head coach. If they hired an offensive innovator, if you put Kyle Shanahan on this team right now, if they would have hired him a couple years ago, would Case Keenan be struggling as much as he is right now? I don't know. I don't, I don't tend to think so. Kyle Shanahan has not had nearly the same talent level as the Broncos have had. And yet his players play hard for them. He's getting production at a CJ Bethard, and the Broncos can't do anything with Case Keenum and a a bunch of different weapons around them. It all comes down to coaching. They really missed the boat with Sean McVay uh, at not firing Vance Joseph and hiring Frank Reich with Kyle Shanahan. They need an offensive innovator. Fortunately for them, it looks like there's going to be a few of them out there in this next coaching cycle, John Filippo, Matt LaFleur, uh, Jim Bob Cooter, you know, you have in the college ranks, you have David Shaw, Lincoln Riley, Jim Harbaugh. There's going to be an offensive guy to get, but Elway has to have enough trust in his quarterback and the coaches that he would hire the new head coach to get the right guy. He has to pick the right guy because I agree with you. You can squeeze some juice out of Case Keenum, who's been a literal lemon to this point, who's thrown 10 interceptions in, in eight games it's it's not the production that you paid for with a better coach, with a better scheme around him, though, I think he can be acceptable. He can be passable. They can get some production and be a bridge starter. Like you said, Mm -hmm. whether that's whether they have Justin Herbert on the roster or they find another young quarterback, it doesn't matter. You're tied to him, just like you made the point. You're spot on you're financially tied to Case Keenum for one more year. So in that one year, you can not risk burning a rookie quarterback or young quarterback, avoid a trial by fire, and with a better coaching staff, you might you know, surprise some people. Look what Ryan Fitzpatrick's doing. He did it with the Jets a few years ago. He's doing it with the Bucs now to an extent. It's better coaching can breed positive results with any quarterback. You can squeeze that juice out of him. So if they find the right guy, and it's easier said than done, they find the next innovator, Case Keenan can still be something. But they have to finally secure that backup young quarterback that they had in Chad Kelly, and now they have no hope at that position.
0: Yep. I mean, if you think back to the Cardinals game coming out, <clears throat> I think it was Ryan Konigsberg of BSN Denver uh, was the one to tweet it, and I think Chris Harris might have talked about it afterward. I'm not sure on that second part. But Larry Fitzgerald said to Chris Harris Jr., congratulating him on the win and off the you know as they're walking off the field, whatever, that, hey, man, you guys are a lot better than your record says you are. And if that's the truth, which I agree, I think from a talent perspective, this team is much better than, than 3 and 5. Or if you you project that out through a full 16 games, they're a lot better than 6 and 10. And so if you boil that down, why does a team consistently underachieve? It comes down to the coaching. It really does. I mean... People can point to John Elway. People can point to, you know, some of the organizational distractions that have occurred, like with ownership and this new lawsuit that uh, Pat Boland's brother is suing the, the trust and all this stuff. And that's not good. It's not a good look. And there have been distractions. But at the end of the day, John Elway, he goes out, he buys the groceries. It's on Vance Joseph and his staff to cook the meal. And so far, they're just – I mean, if, if Vance Joseph was on Yelp as a, as a frickin' chef right now,
1: how many stars <laughs> do you
0: think he'd have, right?
1: <laughs> so, a lot
0: of negative reviews. Yeah. He'd be getting, <laughs> he'd be getting swiped left and right on, on Yelp, okay? So that's the thing is is that's where the Broncos are. But before we uh, move on to the next topic here, I got to agree with Zach. Is my, even though after the game I, I went online and I said, look, on the site, hey – It's time to fire Vance Joseph. I don't expect that to happen this week. If uh, the Broncos are going to make a move, there's going to be two points. One, it's going to be before the bye. If they lose to the Texans, they'll fire Vance Joseph. I'd be shocked if they didn't at that point. Just because the bye just gives them the opportunity to ease that transition, and it also gives them fallback excuses to to justify the decision. And then if if they beat the Texans going to the bye – at uh, four and five, they'll they'll go on to a remaining schedule that is not easy. They'll lose more games than they win, and you know, first second week of December, whatever it might be, that's when he'll officially get the axe. But you know who's who? My guy is the underrated guy on the wish list for me as far as the next head coach of the Denver Broncos. Who's it that? Is Chris Peterson mm. currently the head coach of Great the Washington Huskies? But everything I've been able to learn, people I've talked to, is that. You know, the NFL's tried to court him on multiple occasions. I don't know how aggressive teams around the NFL have been toward trying to get Peterson uh, to the pro level, but he's kind of not really been all that excited about moving on to the NFL. And, you know, he's making pretty decent money at Washington. But one thing I can tell you is coaches, you know, a lot of coaches who, who do coach at the collegiate level, one of the things they love about it is the recruiting process. And being in front of guys, you know, kids in, in, in their living rooms and having dinner with their families, and they love that aspect of their jobs, but there are some guys that they reach a certain point where they burn out on that. They get tired of that aspect of being a college head coach, and so who knows, maybe Chris Peterson, who's done a phenomenal job of recruiting, and not just recruiting, wherever he's been, whether it's Boise State going undefeated that one year, and now going to Washington. I mean, you look at the amount of players since Peterson has been the head coach at Washington, which I think he started in 2014. You look at the amount of Washington Huskies that have been drafted in the top three rounds. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty impressive. And so what that mm-hmm. tells me, Zach, is in a lot of things, not least of which, is that he is a guy that finds a way to get more out of less than the average coach.
1: He is, and he's a great – off. you know, he's a great – coaching mind. I'd love to have him. The only thing I heard about him that's negative is that he's kind of a D-bag with his his coaching staff and the players. Um, I don't know how that uh, conflict of personalities would rub with John Elway. That's the only thing. And that's why Jim Harbaugh wouldn't work out. Uh, But another great choice. And no matter who they get, it just has to be a bright, innovative mind, not a candidate who had one year as a coordinator at the NFL level, and in that one year, his defense was among the worst in his team's history. It's just you have to get a guy with a, a, a veritable background. Whether it's a college coach or an NFL coach, it just has to be an innovator of some sort. So, um, Peterson, great choice. I would love him. Lincoln Riley, David Shaw, Harbaugh, DeFilippo, Jim Bob Cooter, anyone. Yeah. Any of those guys would be an upgrade on Vance Joseph. So um, I don't have any bone to pick with either of them. Well, we still have a lot to get to. We're going to go through
0: and uh, share some of our observations on the game that actually took place on Sunday at Arrowhead. We're going to get there. But first, and we're going to take some of your questions in the mailbag read some through uh, some of your reactions but first we got to say thank you to our sponsor MyBookie, because you know watching football is fun we all love it for a reason but it's more entertaining when you have some action on the games guys you've heard us talking about it for weeks and some of you are still on the sidelines whether you're an expert or a rookie you should be betting at my bookie If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, like playing the numbers on roulette, you can create a big parlay. Pick three teams to win, and if you hit all three, you could turn $100 into $600. And there's so much to bet on. Playoff baseball, the World Series going right now, basketball, hockey, primetime fights, and more. But my bookie is the one bet I know you'll be happy with all year. I recommend these guys because I really trust them. MyBookie has been in the business for years, they've got great online reviews, and their mobile site is easy to use. MyBookie is offering a 100% bonus for the last time this year. That's right. If You've been thinking about placing a pick all season but haven't quite manned up. MyBookie is still offering that 100% bonus, but time is running out. So you gotta man up on that if you've been thinking about placing a pick all season but just haven't quite gotten around to pulling the trigger They'll match your first contribution up to $1,000, 100%. Also, make sure to follow at BetMyBookie on Twitter and Instagram. They personally respond to every mention and DM, not to mention that they've given away nearly $10,000 in free money to their followers this football season. You'll be the first to know as soon as new odds and props are posted. So log on to MyBookie right now. Don't miss out on your last opportunity to collect the industry's biggest bonus, Use promo code HUDDLE and you'll get your first deposit match 100%. That's promo code HUDDLE. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, so let's talk about the offense real quick because just like a couple of other games on the road, actually, you know what? If you think about this Broncos team this year, every time they've gone on the road, they've gotten off to a good start. Even in Baltimore, they got off to a good start. The New York Jets, they got off to a good start. They dominated the Cardinals. And they got off to a really good start today against the Chiefs, got on the board first three and out to start the game. Second possession, they marched down and get a touchdown. And it was looking good, but then in the second quarter, Zach, I mean, you you want to talk about things just falling apart. The second quarter and the fourth quarter for Case Skinham and that Broncos offense was just ridiculously
1: bad. It all fell apart for them on that third down run by Emmanuel Sanders, that trick play, which lost, I think, six yards, and they missed that field goal. And then after that, it changed the entire complexity of the game. And the Broncos still aren't good enough as a team, and especially on offense to overcome those changes in momentum they just aren't they haven't done that they start off hot every single week like you said great observation and they just they wear down they can't get it done in crunch time and I don't want to keep pointing at the coaching staff and the, and the coaches preparation but you know if a team was better prepared and they were adept at blocking out the noise and the and the the trials and tribulations they can overcome those things but the the cute play calling and the the lapses in judgment, the in-game management, they're just not good enough from a talent standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, to overcome that. And the offense just always goes into a shell. They always get too ahead of themselves. They, they run when they should pass. They pass when they should run. Case Keenum has no pocket presence whatsoever. He cannot feel a rush to save his life. He couldn't hit a simple slant. He'll have a couple good passes a game, but it's not, it's still the same old from him. He'll throw for 250 yards, he'll get a touchdown, throw an interception. It's not what the Broncos paid for. He's playing worse than a rookie quarterback. He still hasn't moved the needle at all. He's still the same QB as as he was in week one, week two. And we made the excuses that, oh, he needs time to learn the playbook and he needs time to gel with his teammates. That time is over now. It's week eight. He's still he's shown what he is. When someone tells you who they are, you believe them. And Case Keenum has told told them who he is, and that's a journeyman backup quarterback who had one good year, and he spun that good year into a massive payday. This is why he was passed up. This is why he's been around a bunch of different teams. They're not getting the Vikings, Keenum. It's a great analogy we like to make every single week. They're getting the Rams or Texans, Keenum. They're not getting a good return on their investment at all. So it, to me, it, it's a waste. And whatever he does the rest of the season, it cannot um, you know overwrite – the lapses and mistakes he's made to this point—throwing an interception every single game, interception on a flea flicker—I mean, come on.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's with Keenum, he's been—you know—he takes one step forward and then two or three steps back. I mean, even at going least. back to to the opener, you know, the Broncos moved the ball all game long, 470 yards. I mean, that was great, and you could point at the time you could point to Case Keenum as being the impetus for them moving the ball the way they did. And even scoring the amount of points they did, I think that week was 27, but then three steps back with three interceptions. And that's been Mm -hmm. the story for him each and every week, and it was no different on Sunday. Now, granted, that sack fumble in which he lost the ball in the fourth quarter wasn't exactly his fault, but Keenum has been playing fast and loose with the football all season long. I mean, he was sacked earlier in the game and lost the ball before he was even hit. Fortunately the Broncos recovered that one, but I mean it was just it's just more of the same. Seeing him bail out the backside of the pocket, which he even talked about at the podium after the game, is you know, I can't keep doing that, blah, 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 gotta look at the film. And then he talked a lot also about the after the game. He pointed to the penalties as the biggest obstacle, you know, in terms of the team shooting themselves in the foot. I beg to differ. I think Keenum's decision making and inability at times to make a decision and fire the ball was the biggest thing that held this team back because, again, Agreed. we talk about the Broncos squandering this young talent. I mean, they they started the season with 10 rookies on the 53-man roster, and that didn't count the first-year guys like Tim Patrick and Jake Butt to start the season. How many of those guys did you see come through today? You saw Philip Lindsey, who should have had 150-plus yards rushing, mm-hmm. right? But he had two of those, I think— the Broncos had three 20-plus-yard plays called back, and I think two of them were Philip Lindsay, but it might have been all three. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. But anyway, he should have had 150 yards rushing, had a touchdown. Uh, Cortland Sutton, a couple of huge plays. They need to go to him way more than they are. Yes. E- even Tim Patrick had that rush and then the touchdown to end the second quarter. I mean, just offensively, the Broncos are getting ridiculous production out of their, the youth on their roster, but they're not – capitalizing on it they're not I mean that should be the reason that should be the tip of the spear and the impetus behind win after win for this team but the trigger man Zach is the one is the reason why because I mean you can point to the O-line I'm t- I'll tell you what on that drive in which um Max Gar- well I'm not sure if it was the same drive now but you saw Connor McGovern get flagged for a a ticky tack ticky tack holding foul or no, it was a push in the back, a block in the back that, that brought back a Philip Lindsay rush of over 20 yards. Later on, Max Garcia's hold was kind of ticky-tack, if you ask me. I mean, again, you don't like pointing to the referees as the reason why a team loses, but every time it felt like in the second and, four, and fourth quarter when the Broncos would start to build up some momentum, it's like the refs would step in and say, no, the Chiefs are supposed to win this game. Flag.
1: Yeah. And, I listen, we talk about this a lot, where the franchise quarterback or the would-be franchise quarterback of this team has to – Elevate the talent around him. Make the talent around him better. And they're not at a loss. They're not the Cardinals. This is a team that has talent at pretty much every position minus tight end. And even Hireman caught a touchdown. Matt Lacoste making grabs. Three of the best receivers in the NFL, including the rookie sensation. Two of the best running backs in the NFL, including uh, one of the top ten leading rushers, who's incredible in Philip Lindsey. Uh, a decent offensive line. I mean, there's no excuse for it. It comes down to Case Keenum as the leader of the team. And he sounds a lot like Vance Joseph to me. It's almost like an extension when he says, I want to look at the film. What's to look at? It's been eight weeks of this now. You're not getting better. He is who he is. And the Broncos are trying so hard Every single week to make him this thing and to make him this franchise quarterback, they had him drop back uh, over 30 times today. He was sacked, I believe, four times and a lot of those sacks and he even admitted it was because he held the ball. I watch him and I'm astounded at his lack of presence in the pocket. He has no feel for the rush. This guy making 18 million a year. It's not a rookie quarterback. You have to know where the rush is coming from. Does Garrett Bowles do him, do him any favors? No. Uh, were the, the penalties extremely ticky-tack? Yes, including those Philip Lindsay runs, uh, a couple other on defense. Uh, you know he's not getting any help from Billy Turner. You know Jared Valdu being injured. The, the the guard situation. But there's more talent than he should be producing with. And he had all the chips together at once before these injuries happened, and he still wasn't producing. So the common denominator is Case Keenum. And for me, 250 yards and a chunger always in garbage time, a touchdown and a pick every game, and a fumble every game, it doesn't do it for me. It's not $36 million, 25 guaranteed, 18 a year. That's not what they sign up for. Until that changes, he will go down as one of the worst quarterback signings or overall signings, I think, in Broncos history. Yeah, I mean— If
0: Case Keenum were fired and just cut from the team tomorrow, he would be probably the biggest free agent bust in the history of the team. And it's a storied history, and they've signed a lot of guys, and there's been a few of them who haven't worked out that have been big disappointments. But Case Keenum up to this point has been one of the biggest disappointments all time. And, you know, not to be the guy that's constantly going to bat here for Garrett Bowles. I I think it was a couple weeks ago I said, I'm done defending the guy. But aside from that one boneheaded play that led to the strip sack, uh, in which he was penalized and, you know, for holding and all that, like, Bowles actually played really well. That's two weeks in a row that I think Garrett Bowles played really solid football at left tackle. Now, today, this was the worst possible game Billy Turner could have picked to say, oh, let me remind you all I'm a backup that (laughs) barely got signed on a one year deal here. But anyway, so. You want to see Jared Valdeer back as soon as possible, but really, at the end of the day, this isn't a team that's going to be competing for the playoffs. They've already lost five games, and they have the full, well, half their season left to go. But yeah, Case Keenum, he's got to elevate because you had some really phenomenal, phenomenal performances from the role players and studs. And one thing I'd like to see, I mean, as you pointed to, Keenum dropped back almost 40 times today. One thing I'd like to see is... Even Phillip Lindsay, I like that the Broncos with uh, Royce Freeman out in week eight, they seem to have a more concerted effort to get Lindsay the ball. It was a career high in touches. He had over 18 rushes plus three receptions. He caught all three of his targets for 17 yards. So, another day in which he's over 100 yards from scrimmage, I like that they showed a greater effort in terms of featuring him. But I still don't think it was enough. I still think, Mm -mm. and and you brought up that third down where they tried to get cute with Emmanuel Sanders on the jet sweep. And even after the game, Vance Joseph is talking about, you know, the same guy who iced his own kicker in the second quarter is talking (laughs) about, well, you know, if that would have gone for 20 yards, we'd be talking about a different thing, you know, blah, blah. But it didn't. Well, exactly. It didn't. In that moment, I get that Emmanuel Sanders is one of your better players and in key situations, you want to get your best players the ball. So I understand that aspect of it, but you also have to think about down and distance. On third and two, what do you do in that scenario? You bring in your fullback and you ISO block the snot out of the Chiefs with Philip Lindsay carrying the rock. More often than not, on a percentage basis, you want on third and two, you want high percentage plays. You, you need to convert. More often than not, Philip Lindsay's going to pick up those yards for you, even at 190 pounds or whatever he is. He's going to find a way to pick up those tough yards. So, it was a good step in the right direction for Bill Musgrave in terms of finding a way to feature Philip Lindsay. But I still think that Musgrave and as you've talked a lot about it, they're fooling themselves in this this idea they have of what Case
1: Keenum should be. He's not oh, that guy. Man, when I was ready to praise Bill Musgrave for committing to the run and having some sort of identity, he comes out and tries to get too cute. And and that jet sweep was a ridiculous call. His red zone play calling, except for maybe the uh, the touchdown to hireman he had a, a third and, and goal draw to Devontae Booker. His play calling to me still leaves so much to be desired. I, I am not at all impressed with Bill Musgrave, and uh, you can't put it all in Case Keenum either. Why not dial up more deep balls to Cortland Sutton? Why not just run the hell out of Philip Lindsay until you can't run him anymore? I can count on the, on one hand how many times this season Lindsay has been stopped. You know, at the line of scrimmage or before it. He always falls forward. He always churns yardage. It's amazing how he does it. He's a, a really do it all back. Why not give him the rock? I agree with you. Third and two. If you're even setting up for a field goal, why would you go backward? Why would you put yourself in that position? Yep. That's coaching. I just – he's earned this. I don't understand what he has to do to get a bigger role. Yes, he's maybe not a Todd Gurley. He's not going to be a 30 carry game guy, but he, he just – he produces every week. He finds a way. So in, until they establish that and until they learn what their bread and butter is and commit to it, you're going to see the same exact result with the same exact box score.
0: And, you know, their argument, I guarantee if they were in the room with this right now, they'd be talking about, well, we were playing from behind. You know, we were trying to keep up with Mahomes. You throw to score, blah, blah, blah. And they wouldn't be completely wrong, but this game was never out of hand. This game was never out of reach for the Broncos. And Philip Lindsay, I mean, the thing that frustrated me the most, here's the last thing I'll say that we're going to move on and talk about the defense here. But the thing that frustrates me the most is when the Broncos throw on first down. Now, I can live with it when it's play action because it works every damn time on oh, first the three down, wide if you <sighs> fake the ball to Philip Lindsay or Royce Freeman on first down the linebackers are going to bite and so I don't mind if you throw it in that way but when you line up in three wide and in shotgun on first down so bad it's just 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 dumb you guys i mean and you need more from your coaches and Bill Musgrave just at times he's too cute and i, I again he's fooling himself that's not the great Peyton Manning back there that's just not this is Case Keenum. And, you know, when we, I wrote that piece the day before, by the way, Chad Kelly gets arrested. I wrote that piece after Vance Joseph got to the podium, and he was asked by Cecil Lammy, do you have any confidence in Chad Kelly if you had to turn to him, blah, blah, blah? And he said, yeah, you know, if we had to turn to Chad Kelly, it'd be fine. But in that same remark answering the question, he talked about, well, look, you know, when you have a backup quarterback going, what do you do as coaches? Well, you dumb it down. You dial it back. You focus more on the run. And that's what they need to do with Case Keenum. He's not this franchise-caliber passing phenom. That's just not him. So what do you do? What is he? What's his true identity? He is a high-level backup quarterback in this league. That's what he is. And so you need to design and operate the offense with that type of mindset. And until they do, Zach, you're going to get these lopsided games in which – Uh, Case Keenum throws the ball 34 times, gets sacked somewhere between, you know, four to six times. And Philip Lindsay is under 20 rushes. You know, you're going to have – and Booker, that's another guy they squandered today. Nine rushes, 78 yards. That was probably the best game from Devontae Booker I've seen since the Broncos drafted him.
1: Squandered. Easily, Easily, yeah. He ran really hard. And the one thing I want to say about 3-wide, that's a great observation you made, it, it tips their hand to the defense. They know they're not going to go play action if they're in shotgun 3-wide. And Case Keenum, statistically, is one of the best quarterbacks off play action. It's been proven. It, it's such a lack of coaching, it's so mind-numbing bad. I, I just don't know another way to put it. And uh, you talk about game flow, what dictates game flow? Running the football, controlling the clock. If they were stuck with the run, shoot up clock, march down the field, and kept Patrick Mahomes on the sideline, they would not have had to throw 30-whatever times. It's just, it comes down to coaching. And until they learn that their bread and butter is the running game and it's not a backup quarterback masquerading as a potential franchise quarterback, you're going to keep running into these problems. That's all I can say.
0: That's the truth. That's the truth. So I would say if I had to throw out my, my game balls on offense, I'd say Phillip Lindsey, Cortland Sutton, Devontae Booker, tim patrick step up here's your game balls and the duds i'd have to throw up i mean really the only guy i could really point to and say he's got to do better is case keenum because even that offensive line you know there's a couple of holding fouls that you're like what the heck but like overall they were blowing dudes off the ball in the running game they were giving case keenum time i mean of at least three out of those four sacks that on case keenum were just plays in which he's got to have a clock in his head, and he's not paying attention to the clock, and he's just completely oblivious to the rush. So really, if you see Case Keenum elevate his play, and I wrote about this before, I think it was yesterday. I got on Saturday. I got. I was getting irritated by. Just the overall kind of uh, response in Broncos country to whether social media, comments on the website, in the forums, just kind of this overall downtrodden lack of belief, like treating the Chiefs as if they're this unbeatable giant that why even bother? Why even step on the field at Arrowhead if it's the Chiefs? And I said, look, I wrote an article and the headline was something like, stop talking about the Chiefs as if they're unbeatable. And I wasn't making any kind of prediction. The day before, we published the Mile High Roundtable in which I picked the Broncos to lose, and I didn't change that in that article. But what I was saying is, look, the Kansas City Chiefs, Zach, they're a beatable team. If their 6-1 and one record doesn't prove that, then I don't know what to tell you. And that was on display today. As good as the Chiefs are, I mean, they can put up points in bunches, just like Vance Joseph said after the game. But they left a, a ton of different opportunities, doors open, For the Broncos to win this game, especially late in that fourth quarter, the Broncos defense was finally able to get some stops, got a takeaway, but the Broncos couldn't capitalize because of who, or what, or why?
1: Case Keenum. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't want to sound like Vance Joseph by saying what if or what about-ism, but if they had a better quarterback... And a little better of a coaching scheme, they could have swept the Chiefs this season. Mm. They should have they should have beaten him in, in week four. Yeah. If Keenum hits that touchdown to D T, that's game over. Yep. And that he was wide open. That's a that's a pass that a high school quarterback had hit with his eyes closed. And today they they played him tough. I give him credit. They had it one possession down in the fourth quarter. That defense hung in there strong. They kept giving the ball back to the offense over and over and over again. And the offense, like you saw in 2016, 2017, it's the same deja vu. They keep squandering it. They should have – they could have – or arguably should have swept the Chiefs this year. So if there's a column for moral victories, the Broncos have two in that sense. It doesn't count overall in the win-loss record, but you know they played good enough to beat this Chiefs team. If yeah. the offense was a little better and they had a quarterback who was justifying his contract, they would have sat in a much better position than they are right now. Mike was once made famous by the the great Don
0: Meredith on Monday Night Football. If ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. You know, there's Boom. there's... So many turning points for the Broncos that could have gone a different way, but just lack of execution and just you just wish you could go back in time. But I think we've kind of flogged that horse to death at this point. Let's move on and talk about the defense. You know, Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, they, they started out with a bang, and I think from a scheme perspective, at least up front, Joe Woods did a good job of kind of walking that line of trying to find ways to put pressure on Patrick Mahomes while also trying to keep him in place inside the pocket. I'll tell you what, they did a heck of a lot better job at it this, this game than they did the previous game. And uh, Vaughn Miller, Bradley Chubb, they were able to uh, combine for a single sack on Patrick Mahomes, a half sack each. The Broncos ended up getting him to the ground twice. So that's better than they did the game before. But overall, you still saw a lot of lapses and breakdowns in the secondary. Obviously, the, the Chiefs, they studied their film – They could see the writing on the wall with regard to Bradley Roby and Zach. They were going after him early and often.
1: I don't think there's one area of the defense today that they they did anything that was overly good. They were okay in some spurts and mad in some spurts and bad in some spurts. Uh, The pass rush, Von Miller continue, and I don't know what kryptonite that Mitchell Schwartz possesses, the Chiefs tackle, but he shuts down Miller every single game. Miller finally got him a little bit today, but he just has his way with them every single time they face off. Mahomes literally targeted Bradley Roby five times in a row in one series. He knew where his bread was buttered. He, I don't know what happened to Roby. It's been one of the the bigger subpoints, the subplots of this season, is his regression. And he was supposed to be a capable starter filling in for a keep to leap. and he's just looked worse and where He looks clueless on the field. The pass defense was susceptible. The only player that really stuck out to me on defense in a positive way was Chris Harris Jr., I mean, that man is just a stud in the way he tackles mm-hmm. and and the way he defends passes. Other than that, though, they were very unspectacular. I know Simmons had a pick, but T- Todd Davis was matched up against Sammy Watkins. What was that about? Yeah, one-on-one in the middle, in the red zone in the middle of the field. <sighs> Coaching, it it's all comes down to. So the defense, to me, they didn't really impress me. They were very, you know, ticky-tack and, and yeah. questionable in some areas. They didn't do anything overly good to me. I mean... If you go back in
0: 2016, and think about this. At one point, the Cleveland Browns left tackles, or uh, tackle duo, excuse me, were Joe Thomas and Mitchell Schwartz. Mitchell yeah. Schwartz hit free agency in 2016. Broncos said, yeah, no thanks. We're going to go sign Donald Stevenson. <laughs> think about yeah. it. If you had, if you had Mitchell <laughs> Schwartz right now, the right side of your line would be just locked down. Um, But there we go back to ifs and buts. So the Broncos, uh, you know, clearly could have made some different decisions with regard to free agency that year, but I digress. You go back to the matchups. I mean, I understand, you know, it's it's the job of, of an offensive coordinator through personnel to try and create mismatches and exploit the personnel packages you have on the field. So if I'm a defense and I've got my base package on the field, it's incumbent upon the offensive coordinator I'm facing, they're going to try and find a way to get personnel or to run plays that exploit that particular package. And in this case, you know, hats off to the Chiefs for finding a way they saw in the red zone, they had the Broncos on their heels, and they was, they saw that they could get probably get Watkins lined up one-on-one on a linebacker, Todd Davis, no less, and it worked. I mean, that was just a beautiful play. I'd like to see some kind of innovation and just savvy in-game Tactical calls like that from Bill Musgrave because, I mean, that was a coach who's not just saying, here's a really creative play we've been practicing, you know, let's run it and see what happens. That was a, hey, here's a really creative play we have, not let's just run it and see what happens. Here's the perfect opportunity to use it, and boom, touchdown. I mean, that's – and even Von Miller after the game, you know, he's tipping his hat to Mitchell Schwartz, talking about how Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz are probably the two best tackles in the NFL as far as a duo – And then he talked about how well the Chiefs are coached. You can't argue with them. And it just shows you the difference between a team that is always coming up short like the Broncos, you know, hanging tough against the two best teams in the league now. They've lost to the Rams and the Chiefs twice by a combined 14 points. But, you know, close but no cigar. That's not the motto the Denver Broncos want to be known for, which is why changes need to come sooner rather than later.
1: The Broncos also passed on Andrew Whitworth too at tackle and they signed Donald Stevens in the mental Watson. So that's a, yep. that's a hit on John Elway's record. But in terms of coaching, I talked about this on the podcast after the first Chiefs game, Andy Reid's offense, say what you want about his clock management, his playoff record. His offense is so well run and so fun to watch just from an NFL fan standpoint. It's just so creative and he never shows you the same look twice. He always isolates matchups and gets the one-on-ones that he wants. It's, Andy Reid versus Vance Joseph is such a mismatch. It's not even. It's not even funny. And you saw that again. And they had Todd Davis on Sammy Watkins on the Travis Kelsey touchdown. They had Bradley Roby mash up one on one. No help. No over the top one on one. And they had Roby playing a cushion. Hmm. I mean, it, it's coaching. Yep. So I- until the Broncos find their own head coach, and they might just cherry pick Dave Taub from that staff, they are gonna continue to be. I yep. think swept. Or at least defeated by the Chiefs every year. I
0: would date. I would take Dave Tobe right now over Vance Joseph like six times all week long and twice on Sunday. Absolutely. But we are running long, so let's uh, take this opportunity and pivot to a different topic, but a timely one. Uh, we got the NFL trade uh, trade deadline coming, Zach, on Tuesday. So the Denver Broncos obviously been in the news quite a bit over the last week. A lot of trade buzz and rumors swirling around Dove Valley, and that actually preceded the Halloween party drama that came from Chad Kelly getting arrested. We've had names like Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, Brandon Marshall, uh, and some others bandied about as possible targets of other teams and guys that— John Elway might be looking to trade. Now, with that deadline coming, the phone's going to be ringing. If you're John Elway, you know the season's over. You know that you're going to need to rebuild. And what comes at a premium when you're rebuilding are draft picks and cap space. If there's, you know, let's just say five top candidates for you right now that as a front office, you're going to work the phones, you're going to do your job and try and move some guys and not only clear out that cap space, but acquire yourself some draft picks, which guys are you focusing on trying to move?
1: Realistically, I think Demarius Thomas is the biggest, most plausible trade trip by far. Um, I would say Brandon Marshall, but he had a knee injury, and it's kind of serious, so that kind of torpedoes his trade value. Uh, Bradley Roby, I don't know if it's if it's possible because they don't have anyone behind him, but that's another guy. Uh, Shane Ray, Shaquille Barrett, they're going to be free agents in 2019, so might as well try to get some compensation for him. Uh, and maybe an offensive lineman, perhaps, Matt Paradis or Max Garcia. I don't know what you get for Max Garcia, maybe a, a bag of Doritos, Todd Davis, Darian Stewart, we have them on our list. Uh, You know, they're not going to, I don't think a team would pony up for them. They don't really offer much. The biggest one that I can think of, and the only realistic option, and I think he will actually be dealt is Demarius Thomas. I mean, he sees the writing on the wall. He said it again after today's game that he would not be surprised, and it's a business. He knows. He knows his time is coming. He admitted his time is coming up, and uh, they have Cortland Sutton. They have Deshaun Hamilton. Even Tim Patrick has come on. They have Jordan Taylor waiting in the wings. They are good at wide receiver, and he's being phased out. It doesn't even look like he wants to be on the field anymore with them. He looks kind of... Miserable, to be honest with you. I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into his body language, but Demarius Thomas, to me, is the only one who stands out. I would have said Brandon Marshall if he stayed healthy, and even then it was kind of a, a long shot. But um, among the lists, uh, DT, Marshall, Roby, and Ray are my top four. Hmm. I think there's
0: two guys that are completely off the table as just not – because you, when you rebuild, you also need a, a couple of cornerstone foundational guys – uh, with which to build around. One of them is Von Miller, and I think Chris Harris remains is the other guy that's untradable primarily yes. because he's playing at a Pro Bowl All Pro level. He's still playing elite, and the Broncos are getting le- you know paying him less than market value. So that's just not the type of player that you move on from, even if you're looking to rebuild. But the other guy, I would say, is there's two other guys that are treading on close to no go territory, and that is. Emmanuel Sanders, just with how well he's played, and then, and especially being under contract still next year, and then Matt Paradis. Now, Paradis is interesting because he is in a contract year. The Broncos re-signed him on a restricted free agent tender. He's only making two and a half million, but he should be making close to ten. And so, this is a guy who was homegrown. The Broncos developed him. He's been Iron Man. He's been a complete stud. He's the type of player that you pay so that you can show the young guys on your roster that, look, if you buy into what our coaches are teaching you, you play your ass off game in and game out, this could be you in three or four years. You need that type of an example because Von Miller's a superstar, but you need that guy taken in the you know fourth, fifth, sixth round, in Paradis' case, sixth round that goes on to to net a massive second contract from his original team. And Chris Harris, he's a guy that's like that as well, so you would have that if you ended up dealing Paradis. You could still point to a guy like Harris as a success story on the roster. But I think you piss off a lot of people if you dealt Matt Paradis right now in terms of that locker room. Some guys would be disappointed because he is just such a warrior. He still plays amongst the best at his position. So I think you want to hold on to him, and I'm with you, though. Demarius Thomas... I mean, he's a guy that it's surprising me, actually, how much he's talking about it. Like, it surprises me that when he gets these questions, and you understand, guys are going to get these questions at the podium. Like, Chris Harris was even asked, hey, we heard your name in a report as a possible trade target. He's like, oh, really? Were you surprised by that? Oh, yeah, I kind of was surprised. Yeah, that surprises me. But, like, he didn't care at all. He didn't bat an eye. Demarius Thomas, Zach, it's kind of interesting to me that he's actually talking about it as if it's a real possibility, which tells me... He might have been brought in and said something like, hey, just so you know, DT, um, we're taking a look at maybe trading you. You're going to hear some things probably. We're putting it out there. So, you know, we'll see what happens. We want you to go to somewhere you want to go, your, you know, future ring of famer. Wouldn't surprise me. I'm not saying that's happened. I haven't been told that by anybody, but it wouldn't surprise me.
1: He claimed after the game that no one from the Broncos have discussed the trade rumors with him. He's only heard from his agent. That isn't really worth much, though. I don't think he's going to admit anything anyway. Neither would Vance Joseph or John Owe.
0: No.
1: The thing was to me was I think they didn't trade him during the week. We saw some NFL trades before the deadline, well before. And the only reason they didn't make a move, they wanted to see how this game would play out. If they would have won and got back to five hundred, they could have been buyers if, if for a potential playoff run per se. Uh, if they lost, which they did, now I think they're sellers. They want to yeah. unload. They know that uh, DT and a couple of these players that we mentioned, they're going to be gone next year anyway, so might as well try to get something for them while they still can and clear his salary off the books. They can get uh, quite a bit of cap savings by trading DT or cutting him eventually. So that's why I think he's gone, and he knows it. I don't know if he's been briefed like we just discussed or he just sees the writing on the wall of Reads Between the Lines. His time is up. He's highly paid. He's aging. He's being passed up by Cortland Sutton. He's yep. dealt with some injuries in the past. It's just—it's everyone has their time, and I think this is DT's time. So, yep. I would look for that to happen this week. That's right. Well,
0: uh, we are running long, so let's jump to the mailbag before we get out of here, because each and every week, Zach and I relish the opportunity to be your, to serve as your football priest to offer that absolution and the answers to your burning Broncos questions and coming out of a disappointing loss like this in which, you know, the mortality of the season is laid bare. Sometimes you got to exercise your demons and we're here to, to help you do that. And one of our first questions here comes from Chris Hernandez, who asked about any trade or fire cell rumors, possibilities. I think we just addressed that, Chris, with the previous segment here in depth. But let's move on, and let's hear from Gary Smith on Twitter. Uh, He says, quote, Did Vance Joseph extend his job by releasing Chad Kelly? It seems as if now there isn't a a let's-take-a-look guy behind Keenum this season. It's kind of like a a do your best, and then he left the starters in late at Arizona. So your thoughts, does not having, you know, getting rid of of Kelly, does that
1: somehow extend Vance uh, Joseph's, you know, shelf life? No, not in the least. They made that move because they were forced to. That was an optics move. And it wasn't even from Vance Joseph. That was a decision that was made from above him with John Elway and Joe Ellis. So that does nothing to help out his shelf life with the Broncos. The only thing that can from here on out is winning. Winning cures all, including hot seats. And if he keeps losing, he's going to get fired. It's a matter of when, not if. So cutting Kelly, you know— they had to. That was an incident that involved a woman and a child. It was a break in. I mean, he he disrespected it. We talked about this in the last podcast. He disrespected our disrespected the team, and the culture. They had to make that move. So they didn't they didn't do it and save Vance Joseph's job or extend his shelf life. The only thing that I can is winning. And the more he loses, the more sooner he's going to be fired.
0: Yep. I mean, most of the questions today are actually about Vance Joseph, his shelf life, when. Are the Broncos going to move on? When are the Broncos going to fire him? And I think we've addressed that pretty much in depth. I mean, the best-case scenario of the Broncos moving on from Vance Joseph. So guys like Dylan and Alex and other guys on on Twitter, we hear you. Uh, I think we've fairly addressed that. But like I think the, the closest, the soonest the Broncos will move on is if they lose to the Texans after Week 9. But, yep. I mean, you kind of got to traditionally circle – December as probably the time in which they'll rip off the band aid and then kind of roll the dice on the last two or three weeks of the season and and start searching for that next guy. But I can tell you right now the search has begun, and for those of you who are curious on the website right now, go to milehighhuddle.com. dot com you'll see the top coaching candidates that are out there, and for me, again, it comes down to Chris Peterson at Washington and then John D. Filippo, who is currently the offensive coordinator of the Minnesota vikings so Keep an eye on that. You can go through and learn a little bit about each of the top candidates. I think we've got 15 or 16 guys listed. Now here's another question, Zach, from Deion Hicks. Do you guys believe this team can turn it around? And how can we prevent all these holding calls?
1: I mean, turn it around is subjective. Turn it around to what? A playoff berth, a winning record, just some competent offensive play? That question needs a follow-up. Do they have the talent to win? Absolutely, and I agree with Larry Fitzgerald's his take when he said the Broncos aren't as bad as the record indicates. They should be a, a four, five, six-win team, but they're not. So they can turn it around. They have the horses, pun intended, to turn it around. But until they're held back by this, until they they change being held back by this quarterback, by hampered by this coaching staff, nothing's going to change. They're going to finish. Maybe, like I thought, I predicted a 7-9, and 8-8 eight eight year for them, and maybe even less than that. That's what I thought they would be. They're not a playoff team. They're not a double-digit win team. And uh, I don't think they can turn it around in time. I think 3-5, and five, historically, teams don't make the playoffs. They had winnable games in front of them, and they squandered them. Playoff teams don't do that. But even even if you look at the Broncos winning
0: the division and making the playoffs in 2011 at 8-8, eight and eight, I mean, that took – the entire rest of the AFC West completely being dog crap, and that's it's just not—that's not the lay of the land this year. I mean, you got the Chiefs that went one loss halfway through the season. You got the Chargers doing the Lord's work out there, and I mean the Raiders suck. But this isn't the season in which eight and eight, nine and seven can win you the division, and it's probably not even going to be good enough for a wild card. So, yeah, I mean the probability of the Broncos even winning five of their remaining eight games. It's just if you look at the schedule, go check it out. It's just not pretty. You got the Texans, you've got three more NFC or uh, AFC North teams in Pittsburgh, uh, Cincy, and Cleveland. You've got the Niners, you got Oakland. Uh, it's just chargers. Two, two Chargers. So it's it's not pretty. I I predict if I were to make a, a prediction right now, I think your best hope for the Broncos this year is to finish six and ten, and that might be depressing. Mm-hmm. but like i see probably about the same on the remaining
1: schedule as you got to start this one yeah i don't i don't see <laughs> i don't see more than seven wins right now from this coaching staff and this quarterback play i don't see more than seven wins that would be an upgrade on last year but it's not saying much no. and they have a very tough schedule people are kind of writing it off but those are quality opponents they're not none of these matchups they're going to be favored to win
0: and you know what'll happen they'll go toe to toe with each and every one of them They'll play him tough, and they'll win by or they'll lose by a single score, and they'll maybe defeat one or two of them, maybe, maybe. But you know, one last thing before we get out of here that uh, our good friend Will Keys tweeted at me is that with regard to Chris Peterson of Washington, is that his decisions on where he works hinge on where he can get his son the best care possible, which is why he was at Boise so long. So. I, I'll, I'll tell you right now, some of you are probably nodding your heads. You know exactly what Will is talking about with regard to Chris Peterson's son. I'll admit my ignorance. I don't know exactly what condition he has, but if the location of the best care for him is, is you know contingent on where he works, it might be hard to get him out of Washington.
1: Yeah, people kind of underrate that coaches are people. Mm-hmm. They have families, and they have to do what's best for their families and not just for their careers um hopefully you know wherever he goes if he leaves Washington he, he does have proper care for his son because things are bigger than football um I would hope though that if the stars align the Broncos could at least interview him if it comes to that maybe look to bring him in he's a great coach he's a great mind he'd be a big asset and upgrade for this team
0: well hey listen up Broncos country it's I wish I could tell you that brighter times are around the corner but it's it's you know we've when the Broncos lost I think it was three in a row. We told you that it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. And we're still in that window of time where things are going to continue to uh, deteriorate before that bright ray of sunshine comes breaking through the clouds in the form of a new coaching administration. So uh, unfortunately this season from a mathematical and a probability perspective, it's over. Case Keenum has been a massive failure. The Vance Joseph era in Denver has been a catastrophic failure Other than that, Zach, what is your – to try and brighten Broncos country's day, give them something that they can hang their hats on, what do they look forward
1: to in the second half of this season? The young rookie players, the Bradley Chubbs, the Phillip Lindsays, the Royce Freemans, the Cortland Suttons, they have a nucleus on this team they can build around. This is not a team that's just aging old veterans like the Raiders. They have exciting young playmakers on both sides of the ball that with a better coaching staff and a better scheme, they could really be stars in the NFL. The second half of the year, I'm the same as the fan base. I want to look and see how Philip Lindsay can do, how far he can go, how many yards he can get, when Cortland Sutton establishes himself and ascends to that number one, number two receiver status, how many sacks Bradley Trouble have, how he grows into that role with Von Miller. Those are the exciting parts of this team. John Elway, for all his Faults. He did a masterful job with his draft class and his rookie signings this year. He set the table for years to come. He built a nucleus. Uh, that's the only thing you're going to take out of the season if there's a positive. It's the fact they have young, budding superstars on this team, and that's always exciting.
0: There you go. They got a new team core. That's something we've been telling you since that draft was in the books, that new class. And it's something to hang your hat on. There's just a few ingredients missing namely the coaching staff and the quarterback. you got to find the right quarterback. And really, you got to find the right quarterback and head coach duo. It needs to be something symbiotic and something that works hand-in-hand. And yep. that's just not easy to do in today's NFL. So that's a tall task, but it's something that John Elway and Gary Kubiak and Joe Ellis and all those guys that are making decisions at Dove Valley get paid the big bucks to do. But that's going to do it for today's gut reaction this episode of the Huddle Up Podcast, which is number 180 in the show's history. So, big thanks and props to all you guys for listening. It's been a phenomenal, successful year of podcasting. We're already over a half million downloads, and the season's not even over. So, Zach and I give big props to you guys. Thank you for listening. Thank, Thank you guys. for sticking. Yeah, I mean, it's not been a, fun, a, a, a successful season, right? It's been filled with a lot of lows, some highs, but a lot of lows, So we're glad that you still stick with us, keep it with us. We're gonna always try and help you make sense of this thing, deep dive, and find the find the the good things in which to help elevate you and lift you, things that you can rely on and look forward to. And Zach said it, you got a great young team core. So that's what you got to focus on. And who knows? You never, I mean, all bets are off when it comes to the NFL. There's still that glimmer of possibility the Broncos could make the playoffs. So you can still hope. We just know from a mathematical perspective and viewing it through the scope of history, it's extremely unlikely. And then you can also look forward to you guys, a head coaching change being made and what that could bring and spell. And we're going to be here both on the podcast and on the website to bring you all the latest, all the analysis, all the news, all the buzz. And of course, anything we pick up along the way from our contacts and sources around the league. But that's going to do it for today. You can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at Kelberman247, myself, at Chad and Jensen. Make sure you're subscribing. Make sure you take some time to leave a review, rate the show, and uh, help us out along the way. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.